0: Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Introducing Bluehost Cloud. Ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of 17 year old Maggie Long from Bailey, Colorado. On December 1st, 2017, Maggie left her high school to change her clothes and grab some items for a concert she was helping with that night. But Maggie never returned. When some of Maggie's family members went to go look for her at their home, it was on fire, with Maggie's car still in the driveway. After officials announced that no body was found in the home after extinguishing the fire, but there was also no official search for Maggie... The public was understandably confused and concerned. It would take months for officials to clear up these statements, over a year to announce that Maggie was burned alive in her home that night, and several years to announce that they believe Maggie was the victim of a hate crime. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's get into it. This is the case of Maggie Long. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So, what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Maggie Long was born on December 17th, 1999 to her parents San and Heather Long. She was the youngest of their three daughters, Lena, Connie, and now Maggie. Heather and San Long worked hard to provide a good life for their children. Both were born in a refugee camp in a Chinese community in North Vietnam. During the Vietnam War, they fled to the U.S., where they opened a variety of businesses and invested in real estate. Maggie grew up in the small town of Bailey, Colorado. Bailey is a secluded mountain town, but it's only about an hour away from Denver. According to the Long family, Bailey was a tight knit community with only about 10,000 residents in 2017. But the community was a bit divided. There were people who lived in Bailey for the amazing schools with small classroom sizes and enjoyed participating in community events. But there were also people who just enjoyed the seclusion that the mountain town had to offer and didn't socialize much. Bailey really appealed to both kinds of people, but the Long family was well-known in the community. According to Lena and Connie Long, they were the only immigrant Asian-American family in the neighborhood. They also owned a local liquor store, Long's Liquor, and a restaurant called Derek Tie in the community. However, they state that they never experienced any outright prejudice from their community. For the most part, they say it was a great town. It sounds cliche, but they say that no one even locked their doors at night until Maggie was murdered. It's important that we discuss the long home. They lived in a 6,000 square foot home on 27 acres of land, basically surrounded by forest. The only way to get to and from the home is a private drive that's about a quarter mile long and blocked off by a large iron gate. From what I could gather online, it looks like the entire property is fenced off so the only way to and from the property was by going through this gate. Now, how or if it was locked the majority of the time, I don't know. It's also important to note that the Longs didn't live there alone. They actually rented out an attic space as a separate apartment. Now that I've set the scene a little bit, let's talk about what Maggie was like. There is no shortage of wonderful statements about Maggie from her friends, family, and teachers. Her former preschool teacher, Rosie Warner-Cheney, said, quote, I taught Maggie two years of preschool at Deer Creek. Maggie had such a big personality. She was smart and strong. When I would have to leave the room for a minute, at age four, Maggie would take charge. She would read to her classmates. Every morning she would place a chair next to mine, believing she was going to co-teach. I loved her so much. End quote. In an interview with Court TV, Maggie's sister, Lena, tells them more about Maggie and just how caring she was.
2: It's hard to sum her up in one event. I think it's just, you know, remembering her little quirks, um, just the way that she would apologize to inanimate objects for bumping into them. She was um, seriously the most sweet, kind-hearted person. And um, one time she called me, she was um uh, uh, doing a road trip up to visit me when I lived out of state. And as she was driving along, a bird came in her trajectory and she hit the bird. But she, um, you know, pulled over crying about it, had to call somebody. Um, and that just, I don't know, really shows like that level of um, sweet sensitivity. In
1: 2017, Maggie Long was a senior at Platte Canyon High School and a straight A student she was involved in a ton of extracurricular activities. She spent some time playing softball, she was on the speech and debate team, she helped her college preparatory government team make state finals, and she was heavily involved in drama at her school, as well as working at the venue theater in the city of Conifer.
3: It's a girl. Yes, of course, I can see it's a girl. It's a girl! (laughs) (laughs)
1: Maggie had starred in a variety of productions in the past, but on the night of Thursday, November 30th, 2017, she was prepping for a front-of-house position at her school. The following night, they were holding a concert and Maggie was in charge of the VIP section. According to her sisters, Maggie stayed up all night baking treats and getting refreshments together as a part of her duties. The next morning, now December 1st, Maggie goes to school like normal. Around 3.30pm, Maggie leaves school and goes home to grab the treats and refreshments, as well as change her clothes. She tells her classmates she'll be right back. It's about a 20-minute drive from the school to her home. So, Maggie was expected back about an hour or so later. But Maggie didn't come back, and the show went on without her. Now, this immediately concerned her teachers, friends, and her sister Connie who was sitting in the audience. Obviously, everyone was trying to call Maggie, but she didn't answer her phone. All of this is extremely out of character for her. Connie says that she just kept staring at the auditorium door, waiting for Maggie to enter at any moment but again, that didn't happen. After just having a very bad feeling about Maggie not being there, Connie leaves the concert to go to her family's home, arriving just after 7pm. Now, I am about to dive deep into this timeline, and not everything makes total sense, so stick with me here. By the time Connie arrives, things are already chaotic at the long home. Shortly before Connie arrived at 7.01pm, the Park County Sheriff's Office is dispatched to the Long Residence after receiving a 911 call from the tenant in the attic apartment above the main home. The tenant, who has never been named, states that they could hear one or more people downstairs arguing, throwing things, and trying to set the house on fire. This tenant refuses to leave the apartment. Officers arrive on scene right around 7:12 p.m., and by 7.14 p.m., they reported seeing flames coming from the garage. While the fire department began putting out the flames, officers began running the plates of the vehicles at the residence. One vehicle belongs to the tenant, and the other was Maggie's car, but registered to her father. Now, this entire time, while they're putting out the fire, the tenant is still in their apartment above the home, terrified to come out. At 7.30pm, Heather Long receives a call from the tenant saying that they heard a loud bang, and then the lights went out. Heather was working at her restaurant, Derek Tai, and ultimately decided to send the restaurant manager over to the house to make sure everything was okay, while Heather stayed back and continued running the restaurant. But the manager who takes Heather's car can't even get to the house due to how many emergency responders were at the scene. So the manager calls Heather and says she needs to get home now. Heather doesn't have a car at this point, but luckily a couple that was dining at the restaurant offered to give her a ride. At 7.49pm, the fire department relays to dispatch that they were attempting to make entry into a barricaded room. It's unknown exactly which room of the house this was. At 7.53 p.m., a deputy tells dispatch that there were firearms in the home, and some appeared to be missing. At 7.58 p.m., dispatch is asked to send a detective to the scene. Finally, at 8 p.m., the tenant leaves the apartment through a back entrance with their cat in hand. At 8.12 p.m., the fire is completely extinguished. It seems that the fire was pretty serious in some parts of the home but with it being such a large home, and since the tenant felt safer locked in an apartment above a fire, I have to imagine it didn't get that close to where they were. At 8.40pm, a deputy asks dispatch, quote, do we have an age on the daughter yet? End quote. At 8.48pm, the fire department tells dispatch that this has now become an arson investigation. At 9.03pm, a victim's assistant from the sheriff's office is dispatched to the scene. Around the same time, one of Maggie's sisters posts on Facebook saying Maggie is missing. But when the family told police that they wanted to go search for Maggie, officers at the scene told them it wasn't necessary. This is where things get very confusing in the investigation. Ultimately, Maggie's body was found in the house. She'd been burned alive. I don't know for sure what happened at the scene between law enforcement and the family, but it seems like they were pretty sure they found Maggie in the fire, and they were just waiting for official confirmation before telling the family 100% that it was her. I mean, I get it. If the police tell me they believe my 17-year-old daughter was in the fire, but can't tell me 100% that her body was found, I'd want people out there looking for her. But I have no explanation for what the police tell the public over the next week or so. Now, while all this was happening, Maggie's father was actually in California for business. He was looking at acquiring an apartment complex out there. But once he heard what happened, he grabbed the next flight home and arrived around 2am on Saturday morning. At 9.58am, a Park County coroner was sent to the Long home. For most of the day, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation was collecting evidence from the home, while interviews were being conducted at the Bailey substation. It also appears that DNA was collected during some of these interviews. Later that day, the Park County Sheriff's Office announced that there were no search parties being organized for Maggie Long. On their Facebook page, they stated, quote, On-scene investigation is wrapped up. Cause and origin of the fire is inconclusive. No sign of her. Nobody at the fire scene. End quote. This post was later deleted. On Sunday, Oscar Contreras at Channel 7 Denver News ran an article with the headline quote, Teen 17 missing since Friday in Park County. Arson reported at her home during disappearance. End quote. In the article, it states that deputies are asking for the public's help in finding Maggie Long saying they were focusing on her communications between 2.30pm and 8pm on Friday. Then on Monday, a judge signs a gag order for all officials involved in Maggie's case. Everything goes silent for a few days. Then on December 7th, the gag order was lifted, almost a week after the fire. The sheriff's office finally announces that Maggie's body was found in the fire, and her death was ruled a homicide. This is when the majority of Maggie's friends found out that she wasn't missing. Flowers and letters for Maggie were left at her family's restaurant and liquor store, and a candlelight vigil was held at the Platte Canyon Community Church. Now, when the police announced that this was now a homicide investigation, they reiterate to the public that there is no reason to believe that the community is in danger, explicitly saying that there is no threat to the public at this time. However, at 4.40pm, they released the following Bolo, or Be on the Lookout, stating, quote, The Bolo is going to be for a late-model 90s to 2000 light-colored minivan, possibly driven by a white male in his 20s. Homicide occurred during an arson, and the suspect driver may have some flash burns, as well as taking gasoline from the house, a large case, ak 47 2,000 rounds of ammo of 762 and a 9mm Beretta. Please advise, the subject is considered armed and extremely dangerous. End quote. This bolo was sent to major media outlets all throughout Colorado. The thing is, they didn't actually mean to do that. This bolo was apparently supposed to stay within law enforcement agencies working the case. But it's too late. The media runs with the bolo just like they're supposed to. The Sheriff's Office would later release the following statement regarding this situation. Quote, We did issue a bolo, but it was not intended for public consumption. It was supposed to go through a confidential law enforcement source. I can't confirm what the news stations are reporting. It's quite disruptive to our investigation. Because of the problems that has caused, we're going to have to reconvene the task force and decide how information for a public clarification will be crafted." End quote. But again, it's too late. Rumors began to swirl online about why and how Maggie was murdered. And people were, in my opinion, rightfully scared for their safety based on the bolo. Things really go quiet for a while after this. On January 18, 2018, the Sheriff's Office announces a $15,000 reward for information about Maggie's murder. It wouldn't be until February 7th that the Park County Sheriff's Office, along with federal investigators, hold their first official press conference about Maggie's case. In the beginning of the conference, officials just kind of go over everything that's happened so far and address some of the more confusing aspects of the investigation. They say that they waited to tell the public that Maggie's body was found until she was positively identified. They also state that it appears a burglary was taking place that day, and they won't be releasing Maggie's autopsy report while the investigation continues. They address the gag order, saying it was a preventative measure to ensure the public didn't receive information that might only be known to the perpetrators. They add that although there have been no arrests, immense progress has been made in the case. After this, they discuss some of the items stolen from the home and show pictures of similar items in hopes that the items and perpetrators can be tracked down. We already know from the BOLO that some guns and ammo were taken from the home. But at this press conference, they add that some jade figurines and a green gun safe were also taken from the property. Then, a representative from the FBI announces that they are upping the reward to $20,000. He adds that it's very likely that someone out there has encountered the perpetrator or perpetrators. He goes over the regular things, asking the public to look out for unusual behavior. Maybe somebody missed an appointment that day, changed their appearance, has an unusual interest in the case, those types of things. Then they hand it back over to the sheriff to answer questions, and things really heat up.
4: Again, thank you all for coming. I'm going to take a few questions. Keep in mind, I'm I'm limited on on what I can say, but uh, I I do want to give you an opportunity.
5: Sheriff, there were some DNA samples that were collected around the community. Uh, After those DNA samples were collected, is there anything that you can tell us that was gathered from that evidence that was uh, gathered here in the Bay Area?
4: I can't speak about the results of the DNA that were collected, but what I can say is that, um, uh, it, that it wasn't done randomly, I think, or it was done randomly, it wasn't done, uh, I think some of the comments I heard was uh, uh, we were going up there going door to door just collecting DNA. Uh, that was incorrect. You uh, we, we had specific uh, individuals we wanted to speak with and uh, um, those uh, samples were collected. So. Sure. Was, it,
5: was
4: it productive in any way, would you say? It's well. It's it's gathering evidence, and uh, you know that's that's what we need to be doing. A lot of times, you just don't know on that for a while. Speaking on behalf of CBI, It you gather that, and sometimes it's for elimination purposes, and there's a lot of different reasons to to gather that. Uh, sometimes it's just in advance of what you might find later on. So, sure, Sheriff, when can was you speak? Maggie's body soon? found. Go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead. Go, ahead. Go ahead. When was Maggie's body found? What date? Uh, December 1st. Go ahead.
5: Can you just speak to the decision to to wait to this point to hold a public forum, to address the media? Um, It seems like there was a bolo that went out that mentioned missing guns. Um, That was two months ago. Why are you picking today to ask the public for help when they probably could have helped two months ago?
4: You know, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the amount of information that we were processing. Um, we, want, we were being very careful on what we, uh, on what we had, um, on what we were um, sifting through, and we wanted to give our investigators an opportunity to go through that. Um, yes, I, I would say um, we, we would like to have gotten out earlier, but there was a reason why we had to wait. Sheriff,
5: sure. <clears throat> can you explain to the community why one of your deputies lied to them?
4: Well, give me an example. They said there was no body found at the house. Well, I, I, I don't think uh, they purposely lied. Um, we didn't want to say exactly who it was until we had an opportunity I for the coroner's we won't office. Say who it was, but you yeah. should have
5: said that there was a body found on
4: scene. Well, like I said, uh, we made our we made our comments, so uh, you know we'll, we'll live with that. Thank you. Sure. Yes, ma'am.
3: Okay. Long family is cooperating fully with the investigation?
4: You are correct. They are.
5: To ask and add to her question. Sure. Um, has the Long family indicated to you in any sense that whoever did this might be known to them? How would someone know that there's a safe with those weapons and I would imagine jade objects that are fairly expensive would they targeted it, they know the people who might have done this?
4: The Long family's been very cooperative in in this entire time, um, and uh, we've been uh, working with them.
5: Were there video cameras in the home that would have uh, seen any of this or captured any images of the
4: suspect? Can't comment to that.
6: Sheriff, can we go back to that bolo? Uh, That information was broadcast and picked up by media outlets. Um, There was some confusion there if that was supposed to be released or not and, and kind of what happened with that. Is it safe to say that the information that was included in that bolo uh, is still valid today with a description of a person that you were wanting to look at in a vehicle description? Um, other information in that bolo seems to still be accurate. The Description of a, a green gun case or the firearms that were, were listed. That information still seems to be accurate. So is the rest of that information in the bolo still accurate?
4: Um. That, you're right, that was not supposed to be released. That was uh, something that was supposed to go out to law enforcement sensitive. Um, so we, we have to eat that. Um, we have not been able to confirm that, so I don't want to say uh, anything more about it. Um, but yeah, yeah it, was, it was our mistake. Yes, ma'am. What's the difference
3: between releasing these images and not telling us how t- the autopsy report is out today, but you still are not releasing it to the media? What's the difference between this and this? I mean, doesn't that identify the person as well? Isn't, isn't the person watching that did this could say, I mean, isn't that just as identifying as how she died?
4: No. Uh, we want to get this out because it's the items that were stolen from the home.
3: Sheriff, you mentioned a,
5: a tenant or a 911 call from a tenant who so mm-hmm. was not a member of the Long family? Correct. Did that tenant see? The people are hearing things inside the home.
4: Can't confirm or deny that.
5: Have you brought anyone in for questioning to your headquarters to ask them if they might have had anything to do with
4: this? Well, we've conducted a lot of interviews.
6: Do you know how many? Can you tell us how many? Uh, are?
4: No, I I can't.
6: Dozens.
3: Can you tell us if there was any signs of forced entry to the home, indicating whether or not that Maggie interrupted them or if they interrupted Maggie?
4: can't comment on that. Chair, like this What's that? Can you say whether or not a sexual assault is involved? No, I can't.
6: The community really uh, involved in this, watching this closely mm-hmm. every move, trying to, of course, get information because there's a lot of fear out there in the community. Um, I don't feel like some of the folks that we've talked with even up to today, that has changed. Um, moving we- forward, how you how do you plan on keeping the community updated as this
4: case moves forward? Sure. Um, so the information we've gathered, um, there's, uh, there is no threat to the community. Um, the um, circumstances, um, we continue to work uh, around um, the circumstances surrounding Maggie's death. Um, that being said, with any situation we call upon the community to report any suspicious activity. Um, we're hopefully, hopeful that we can put out more information as it continues, but we want to give our investigators every opportunity we can to conduct a, a good investigation.
5: Sheriff, there were a lot of people asking questions after this story first broke because mm-hmm. there was no sign of immediate threat from anyone, but then later came word that someone had been killed and that there was a threat and that you were asking people to watch out for a threat. And people have been asking you questions on Facebook, the department questions So, on behalf of the people with baby. What do you tell them? How, do, you, do you tell them you, you, you made a mistake? I mean, what happened? I mean, people were in danger quite
4: possibly. No, they weren't. Um, we, um, we've looked at this situation. We've uh, got investigators working on it. We wouldn't have left if we'd have thought that there was a threat to the public out there. We continue to work very hard uh, with our uh, federal and state partners in trying to make sure this is solved.
6: Last question. Last question. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? I mean, especially with you know missing guns, um, AK-47
5: style rifle. Uh, how do you how do you justify saying that there is no risk or no threat?
4: You know, you have. Yeah, I guess you have risk and, and threat every day. Um, but um, based upon the information that we have gathered, um, we, we are very confident that we, uh, uh, there is no uh, threat out there right now to anybody else.
3: And I think that will wrap this question and answer session. As information becomes available, to office, we'll, we'll release that. At times, we ask the CBI to work that out to our media outlets, so uh, just be on the lookout for
5: updates um,
4: Thank you, Sheriff. Thank
1: you. That was a lot. It seems very clear that investigators do not want to release a ton of information about Maggie's case. I get it. But I do feel like the reporter's questions were very fair. There were a lot of conflicting statements. There was no body found in the fire. Now it's confirmed that Maggie was found on December 1st. This bola went out that there's an armed and dangerous suspect in the community, but they say that there's no danger. And they waited months before addressing the public. It doesn't exactly instill confidence in the investigation or the department as a whole. Right now, all we really know is that there was a burglary and fire at the home, and Maggie was found dead. But slowly, more information would be released. On February 21st, the Sheriff's Office responds to a nine news records request for employee timesheets as it relates to Maggie's case. The Sheriff's Office responds, saying that they've worked a total of 1,867 hours during the first 79 days of the investigation. Then, in May, we get one of the first big breaks in this case outside of that bolo. The Sheriff's Office releases a sketch of a man that they believe may be connected to Maggie's murder. This appears to be a young white male, which would make sense considering the bolo that was released. They also release stock photos of items similar to the items stolen from the home, as well as stock photos of vehicles that may be connected. One is a Chevy Astro van and the other is a Ford pickup. Slowly over the next few months and years, more information would trickle out. In May 2018, investigators say Maggie's home was specifically targeted, but there isn't much more information than that. In January 2019, Sheriff Tom McGraw announces that Maggie was burned alive in her home. He also states that they've ruled out hundreds of persons of interest, and have now identified three suspects, stating, quote, At least three people, three men, were directly involved in Maggie's murder, end quote. At this time, a sketch of a possible second assailant is released. It wouldn't be until April that the third and final sketch was released. Now, the thing with these sketches is that there aren't really descriptions to go with them. It doesn't say if the other two men were white, had blonde hair, blue hair, were 11 feet tall, nothing. So, I can't tell you much about these sketches but of course they will be available on my website so you can share and check them out for yourself. I also couldn't find concrete information as to where the information about these men and vehicles came from. And who knows why they waited over a year to release these sketches. Did they have this information all along? Did new witnesses come forward? I don't know. Now, this is where the description of the Long family home comes in handy. Remember, this was a desolate area surrounded by trees. They were on 27 acres of land, and the only way in and out of the property was one quarter-mile long drive. Now, if you also remember, the tenant called 911 while the perpetrators were still in the home, and officials arrived in about 15 minutes. In my opinion, that's a pretty tight timeline for the perpetrators to flee the scene given how large the property was. I mean, it's possible that they heard the tenant call 911 and left immediately. But it seems like a stretch in a 6,000 square foot home where the tenant was far enough from the fire to remain locked in their apartment for at least an hour while the fire department extinguished the flames. I think it's fair to assume that the tenant saw quite a bit but not everything. I have to imagine they might have looked out a window and saw something. They might have even seen people coming from their vehicles and enter the home. But we know that they didn't see enough to even know how many people were in the house. So they obviously didn't see everything that we get from those sketches. I have to wonder who, realistically, would have been a witness that night. I mean, this property is pretty much out in the middle of nowhere. They do have a few neighbors, but like the Long family, it looks like they also have very lengthy drives from the main road to their properties, and they are also surrounded by trees. What are the chances that random witnesses would be on or around the property? So, who else might have seen something? We know that the sheriff's office won't say if there were cameras on the property. The only other probable witnesses I can think of are the police themselves. I think it's entirely possible that as the police were driving to the scene, the perpetrators drove right past them. I don't know. I'm just speculating. And also kind of hoping that there is some surveillance or dashcam footage out there somewhere that could help us identify whoever killed Maggie. The case, again, goes pretty quiet. There were some similar crimes that officials looked into, but ultimately none of them were linked to Maggie's murder. At this point, we basically just know that three men entered the long home at some point in time, either before or after Maggie got home. There was some type of physical altercation. Items were taken from the home, and Maggie was burned alive. Up to this point, most people believed that the motivation for the murder was happenstance, that Maggie must have walked in on a burglary in progress, She was killed, and the fire was set to destroy any evidence. But then, in May of 2021, the FBI makes a major announcement. They say Maggie Long's death is now being investigated as a hate crime. Like pretty much every other announcement made in this case, this too is shrouded in secrecy. Which is fine. I get information needs to be protected, but I also have to tell you why I don't have a concrete answer as to why this determination was made. When 9 News asked the FBI what led them to make this decision, they were given the following statement. Quote, the FBI is investigating the murder of Maggie Long as a potential hate crime matter. A hate crime is a criminal offense against a person or property, motivated in whole or in part by the offender's bias against a religion, disability, ethnicity-slash-national origin, sexual orientation, gender-or-gender or gender identity, end quote. The FBI did put out some other statements, but they're all about the same. The Long family also released a statement, quote, "...our family appreciates the outreach, kind words, and continued fight to find justice for Maggie. The reclassification of this case has brought light to a new angle that may bring answers." We are driven to find those responsible for such a heinous crime done to our innocent sister and daughter." Connie Long has stated publicly that the Colorado Bureau of Investigation told her this decision was tactical and not prompted by a specific development. She says the classification was to help get more funding and resources for the case. However, in an interview with Court TV, her sister, Lena, says it's hard to imagine that hate wasn't a factor in such a brutal crime. I think when
3: you look at the crime that occurred, it would be hard to say that the brutality and violence of the crime got to that level Um, without there being another factor of extreme hatred. And so, you know, you have to wonder then, why was the crime so hateful? Why did she die in such a violent, brutal manner? This is not a death that was accidental. It was completely intentional. And I think for those reasons, there must be another angle of why somebody would go to that extent
1: to express their hatred. Obviously, the whole family hopes that this new approach will lead to answers and justice for Maggie. This is pretty much where Maggie's case is today. No suspects have been named and no arrests have been made. Like most of the cases I cover on this show, we are left with a lot of questions. What happened to Maggie between the time she got home from school and the time officers arrived nearly three hours later? It's a scary thought, but three hours is a long time. Is there a video of these three men? Will more information be released? What happened with all of that misinformation early in the case? And most importantly, what happened to Maggie? Who did this and why? I don't know. But in an interview with Court TV, Lena Long discussed her theories. So, you know, we know the facts as others do. And
2: looking at what happened, this was not a burglary that um, went wrong. After more details were disclosed and you see how she was burned alive, this is a violent act of murder, not a... Uh, burglary or robbery um, that was, uh, you know, planned. Uh, it wasn't efficient, um, you know, considering the few items that were taken, um, which are still out there, um, that um, law enforcement is searching for, guns and whatnot. But this was not a professional robbery, right? So I think that's why we're looking at um, race being a factor. Certainly gender may have been a factor. And I think in these ways, um, this is a discrimination case. Would the violence have gotten to this level if she were not a woman? Would the violence gotten to this level if she were not a minority in the community or perhaps other compared to the suspects? And um, you know, perhaps our family background, um, running restaurants, being Asian, made us a target in terms of the timing of the initial incidents. But um, you know we keep in very close contact with the FBI and updates on their investigation. Um, and as we spoke to earlier, uh, Park County is um, a small population. They have limited resources. So working in conjunction with the FBI is truly important for making progress on this case. And that's why um, I believe the FBI sought uh, additional resources by declaring this case. Um, Uh, as a hate crime. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, the bias factors of her being a woman and her race um, were true in 2017. And I think now that resources have opened, um, hopefully we will have um, more manpower to get us some answers.
1: According to the FBI's Uniform Crime Report data for 2017, Reported hate crimes against Asian Americans were actually lower than they had been in years. But that doesn't mean these crimes are not happening. Hate crimes against Asian Americans have been documented since the 1800s, and have spiked immensely since 2017. And that's just what's reported. Like Lena said, I don't think we can rule out the possibility that this crime could have been motivated by race, economic status, or gender. The Longs never went back to their family home, the home Maggie was raised in. They just couldn't bear it, saying it was all too traumatic. In 2019, the house was put up for sale at land value. The Long family recommended the home be torn down. It breaks my heart. No matter what drove Maggie's killers to commit this heinous crime, it's clear that her family is haunted by this and are in desperate need of answers.
3: There's still that heaviness that keeps us in the past. While her, you know, spirit encourages us to have hope and to move forward, we're still tethered to that night in 2017. And until we get real answers, I don't know if we can really truly move on.
1: That brings me right to our call to action. Please share Maggie's story. And please share the sketches and photos of the vehicles and items taken from the home that night. They will be available on VoicesForJusticePodcast.com and my social media accounts. As a reminder, Maggie Long was murdered on December 1, 2017 at her home in Bailey, Colorado. She was a 17-year-old Asian American female with brown eyes and black hair. The police are seeking information about three men believed to be connected to this crime. It's believed that they were driving a late 90s to 2000 light-colored Chevy Astro van and a Ford pickup. Anyone with information is urged to call 1-800-CALL-FBI. You can also submit tips online at fbi.gov slash tips. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice. Hey guys, welcome to the secret after show moment. I'm gonna have to really think of a better name for this if you have any Please let me know on social media I just wanted to take a second and say happy Thanksgiving to all that celebrate This episode is coming out on the day of Thanksgiving if you are confused or maybe listening to this at a later date I announced this on social media, but I just wanted to tell you guys, um, I was invited to my family's Thanksgiving this year That has my stomach rumbling if you can hear that i'm so hungry um But I said no. Um, And to be honest, you know, I was just trying to shield myself. I just, I didn't want to go through any unnecessary pain, to be totally honest. Um, The trial's coming up. I just didn't want to put myself through it. But the reason I'm telling you is because I don't think I would have had that strength without you guys. Um, It's so hard for me, you know, because there is this concept of parasocial relationships, right? Where it's like influencers, anybody with an audience, whatever, have these weird relationships with our audience. Um, but it, I don't know, it feels different for me, you guys. Um, you guys were there for me when nobody was. So I hope that that's not weird to anybody. I'm not trying to be manipulative. I am just genuinely appreciative of everything you guys have given me and helped me build here. Um, including that, including me having the strength to turn down a family invite because I know it's not good for my mental health. Um, I think a few years ago, maybe even if I just didn't have you guys, I think I probably would have caved and just gone because I was so sad and lonely to be totally honest. Um, but yeah. So I just want to say happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate. Um, and I love you so much. Seriously. Thank you for that. Thank you for all the strength that you guys give me. I hope that you um, are having a great day. I Hope that it was an okay holiday for you. Um, and I also want to remind you that it's okay to step away from your family if you need to. Don't feel bad. Um, if it's toxic, if it affects your mental health, that's important to recognize. It's important to see that and step away for yourself. Um, yeah, I just wanted to convey that message that I know the holidays aren't the easiest time for everybody. And if, if you need to step away and be with yourself, during this time of year, just do it. I'm telling you it's worth it. Um, yeah, take care of yourself, guys. Um, but as always, thank you for tolerating me. I love you, and I'll talk to you next time.